Hey, Jesse, how you doing? Katie, I'm having kind of a rough one. Uh-oh, what's going on? Well, there's no uh, easy way to say this, but um, mommy and daddy are fighting. Uh, wait, I thought your mom died. Didn't we do a whole episode about that? Setting that aside, mm. by mommy, I mean NPR, because NPR raised me <laughs> from a young age to have the correct progressive uh-huh, values. Same. And by daddy, mm-hmm. I mean Elon Musk. NPR carried you around in a tote bag when you were a baby. I was raised in an NPR, in a discarded NPR tote bag <laughs> with a baguette brie sandwich, my only sustenance. But our daddy, as we've said before, is Elon Musk. We had a formal ceremony mm-hmm. where he legally adopted us because he's a genius and he can't mm-hmm. do anything wrong. And mommy and daddy are fighting. Did you see this? I did see this. I could not avoid this, unfortunately. My two main modes of transport of transportation of, <laughs> of entertainment are Twitter and NPR. And yes, Twitter and NPR, they're splitting up. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty dire. Here's David Folkenflick earlier this week. Quote, NPR will no longer post fresh content to its 52 official Twitter feeds. Katie, 52. 52, and I thought you had a lot. (laughs) Becoming the first major news organization to go silent on their social media platform. In explaining its decision, NPR cited Twitter's decision to first label the network state-affiliated media, the same term it uses for propaganda outlets in Russia, China, and other autocratic countries. So... When queried by NPR tech reporter Bobby Allen, Twitter owner Elon Musk asked how NPR functioned. <laughs> Musk allowed he might have gotten it wrong. Twitter then revised. He's a real shoot first, uh, <laughs> question later kind of guy. Real Alec Baldwin. So Twitter then revised its label on NPR's account to government funded media. NPR is saying this is inaccurate because it gets less than 1% of its $300 million annual budget from the federal funded corporation for public broadcasting, which makes me wonder. The rest is from selling tote bags. Exactly. The re- it makes me wonder. I wonder if Twitter is more federally funded than NPR. If you factor in like government tax breaks and Dude, stuff. Tesla for sure. I don't know if Tesla still is, but Tesla was propped up by government subsidies for much of the beginning of its uh, of its existence. Luckily, uh, Elon Musk is handling this in his characteristically mature manner. So after Bobby Allen, that NPR reporter, emailed Musk asking for his reaction to NPR leaving the site, quote, a couple of hours later, Musk tweeted out Allen's email, followed with a tweet saying, defund at NPR. He is so mature. His followers quickly piled on. So yes, defund NPR of the less than 1% of its $300 million annual budget. I got to stop you there because the 1% is actually a little bit misleading. Uh, so Mike Pesca, who would know, he was an NPR employee for a long time. He's been tweeting about this. Noted, ra- no, sorry, you mean noted racist, Mike? Pesca. Noted racist, Mike Pesca. Influence. I saw, I saw him recently. By the way, this is uh-huh. the first part of the sentence is true. I saw him over beers. He couldn't stop talking about how desperately he wanted to say the N word. It was all he would talk about. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. So Defector was right. He's he's obsessed with it. Sorry, Mike. I just I had to spill that tea. Okay. So Mike, he used to be the sports guy at NPR. One of the reasons I no longer donate to my this doesn't even make any sense. One of the reasons I no longer donate to my local d- the stations, which had absolutely no hand in, in firing Mike Pesca, is that national NPR stopped using Mike Pesca as their sports guy uh, in a in a moment of peak over this ridiculous controversy at Slate. Go back and listen to our episodes on that if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about. But he tweeted this yesterday. Each year, $100 million flows to all of public radio through the CPB, that's the Corporation for, for Public Broadcasting, for government or government funding. Some is in the form of grants to NPR. Overall, less than 10% of all funds acquired by stations are from the government. The, clo- the, the number is not 1%. I don't know what it is. It's really hard 10%. to – I don't think he's even saying that. He's saying less than 10%. But it is really hard to yeah. determine that number because of the way that NPR is structured. A certain percentage, a small percentage of their, of their funding comes directly from the government, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, but a larger percent of their – of their income comes from local member stations that have their own sources of government funding. So it is a little bit misleading to say it's less than 1%. I think it's still a small part of the budget, overall budget. And it is something that oddly, as Musk pointed out, and I don't, I will like very rarely concede that he is right about something because he very rarely is, is that NPR does tout government funding. And they say oftentimes in their fundraising emails or their fundraising messages Government funding is an essential part of public of public media. They don't want it to be defunded. It's a constant refrain co- from conservatives: defund NPR. 
NPR does lean into the fact that they're government funded when it's convenient and they yeah. lean out when it's not convenient. It isn't happening. If it is happening, it's good. Right. Exactly. And I am a much bigger fan of NPR, despite my many, many, many complaints about it over the years than I am Elon Musk. This did strike me as a melodramatic take your ball and go home situation. Yeah. But then again, Twitter drives very little traffic to publishers. And I know this because I used to yeah. do social media at an NPR station. It is just it really does not drive traffic. And so I don't think that this is going to be a huge hit to their to their audience, to their bottom line. Uh, and they can fundraise off of it, which they are. They sent out a fundraising email yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, I think I think it was in NPR's interest to sort of hide in the melodrama here. It's just like it's crazy that Elon Musk, the CEO of Twitter, is just like defund NPR. Okay, really? Should just yeah. cut all cut all public fund. It's just such a. I mean, Jesse, he tweeted today. You probably didn't say this, but he tweeted today that any parent or doctor who he said sterilizes children participates in the sterilization of children. He meant you know participates in sex changes for children should be in prison for life. The man is not a fan of nuance. There are rich people who don't feel the need to chime in on everything and who can just take a back seat and like let their companies be run by competent people. He is Harlan Crow. He's not one of them. Harlan Crow. <laughs> uh, Have you been following that from a distance? From a very far distance. Uh, yeah. I mean, besides this, NPR seems to be going through some pains. They just did layoffs. They laid off, I believe, 10% of the staff. They canceled three podcasts, one of which used to be really good. A lot of people are saying that this is the go woke, bro- go broke situation. I don't think that's really quite accurate, or at least entirely nah. accurate. NPR. Almost always an oversimplification. Yeah. NPR invested a lot of money into podcasts because they – their audience is aging, and they need to. Then this is going to come up later when we talk about when we talk about Dylan Mulvaney in a little while. But their audience is aging, and so they need to reach new audiences. And they, I think, are trying to do this via podcast. And the podcasts that they're creating are not actually reaching new audiences. Maybe because the people who are interested in NPR are not actually actually are like old white people, not people interested in friends. It's hip hop, I, uh, which is one of the podcasts that they canceled. A modest suggestion. If NPR could develop the technology to deliver podcasts to dead people, it wouldn't have to worry about changing and growing with the times. It's weird to me they haven't done that. They should look into that. Maybe Elon could help them. Um, one of the podcasts that they canceled, this hip hop one, Louder Than a Riot, I heard from a couple people inside NPR. And the number of people it was reaching each week were in the low five figures. No. Yeah. For an NPR podcast? That's a fucking disaster. An NPR podcast that they put a lot of money and resources into. It's, yeah, I, I encountered this on Spotify. Some of the ads you would get for spot, for Spotify original podcasts that were like clearly trying to ride the 2020 waves, they were just I had no interest in them. And I'm someone who actually is really interested in like yeah. stories of like hardship and oppression and inequality, but they were so like, it would be like, do you want to hear stories about queer black doctors with like no other explanation for like why? Should, I was like, I actually, <laughs> so I am interested in like doctors working under different, but like it's it just very specific, very like uh, cartoonishly intersectional, not intersectional in the good, interesting way. And I, I want more data to come out about like what people actually hear because I think in the end we're going to get to this with Mulvaney. But I think in the absence of information, because um, a lot of this information isn't public, everyone can just paint their own picture. I was like, go woke, go broke. When that, you know, I mean, although yeah. what you just said is like a slight, yeah, it's not yeah. entirely false, but it's it's no. an oversimplification because like you can't say go woke, go broke when Robin D'Angelo is a best-selling author. Um, totally. The 1619 Project, blah, blah, blah. This podcast, we're doing quite well. The wokest, wokest podcast in the world. Mm -hmm. Katie, what is the name of this state-affiliated podcast? (laughs) This is Locked and Reported, and I'm Katie Herzog. And I'm Jesse Single, America number one. Uh, (laughs) Today, yes, we're going to talk about trans influencer Dylan Mulvaney. But first, uh, we've got some diapers to fill. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay, so, yes. As of as people will probably unfortunately be unable to wipe from their minds. Wipe last week. Word choice. We <laughs> we did some diaper talk, and we got some uh, some really interesting responses to that. So we're going to start it with some some re- reader email. I have to say, 
I really apologize to the Unitarians who listened to our show for the first time ever last week because of the longer segment on what was going on in the Unitarian Church. And their introduction to the show was talk about adult baby diaper lovers. It's all these wide-eyed, <laughs> earnest middle America types ready to hear, like, I'm sure this story has been bubbling in their community for a long time. But first, they have to sit through diaper chat. Sorry about yeah. that, guys. So so Kate, I saw Kate Rohde shared this on Twitter. She was the, the main character of our Unitarian segment. And um, then in all caps, it said, skip to minute 25. <laughs> <laughs> Good advice. Okay, but more diaper chat. We apologize, but we're going back to it. Okay, so we got a bunch of letters. You, I believe, Asked if we had any adult baby diaper lovers in the audience. Yes. And you asked them to write in. It turns out, Jesse, we have. As I asked that question, I feared that I already knew the answer. (laughs) We got five emails from adult baby diaper lovers, almost all from from, uh, burner accounts. And I I think these people actually were. I don't think that they were trolling us. I think that there was enough detail to make me think that we do have, have some adult babies in the audience. And in fact, we might have so many adult baby diaper lovers in the audience that anytime you go to a Barb Hog meetup or a live show, the person sitting beside you, there is a non-zero chance that this person is wearing a diaper at that very moment. In Los Angeles, things did get a little bit stinky at one point. <laughs> I, I will say it, but also if you're not an Abdale person and you can write an email this convincingly impersonating someone who wears diapers, you do in fact yeah. have an interest in diapers. <laughs> Unless there's a GPT chat for ABDL, ABDL oh chat. All right, Jesse, do you want to read uh, this first email? So yeah, the um, just to set this up a little bit, part of the segment we did, and sorry again for the whole segment, uh, was about the attempt by some people to turn ABDL stuff into like a rights movement rather than just a kink. So specifically, writers at my, my former employer. <laughs> Quote, I am hugely suspicious of any attempt to try to turn any kink-based identity, i.e. furries, BDSM, ABDL, into a socially protected characteristic a la same-sex attraction or bisexuality. ABDLs have the option, one they should exercise, in my humble opinion, of keeping their diaper wearing private, whereas someone in a same-sex relationship needs the right to make that public. This may sound like common sense to you guys, but I have seen too many attempts online to strike a false parallel between wearing diapers and being LGBT. <laughs> LGBT. <laughs> Take the D out. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I thought that was a, a good point, and not only because it uh, agreed with us. Most of the babies did, in fact, agree with us, uh, especially about the point that this is not something that you should impose on the unsuspecting public. Um, we have another email. Jesse, will you read one from that one as well? To be clear, the vast majority of adult baby diaper lovers think that wearing visible diapers in public is extremely unethical outside of something like Folsom Street Fair. As funny, isn't, isn't Folsom like a leather fair? Would I, it be like leather diapers? Katie, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'll ask someone else. Cloth diapers, I guess. As funny as it sounds, <laughs> there's something like an unwritten code about what's acceptable in public with different rules for Halloween, secluded camping trips, etc. <laughs> If somebody posts a picture of themselves in baby gear saying, hey, look at me at the zoo, they will always get a lot of pushback in the comments. If there's children around, it's even worse. Can I just say, this is this is why we take the money people give us and we do in-depth investigative reporting like me saying, email us if you are this thing. Mm-hmm. That allows us to give a more well-rounded understanding of the community than just you know uh, sniping from afar. We're heroes. I'm just trying to imagine – it's Halloween – it's it's fine on Halloween, I guess. I'm just trying to imagine somebody not you know how parents now like I don't think any parents did this when we were kids. Maybe in I don't know, the suburbs of Boston, but this definitely was not a thing when I was a kid. Parents did not dress up on Halloween. Did they in Boston? In Newton? I bet I don't really remember. I think not, but there there's now people who are look, I suffer from just as much like arrested adulthood as anybody, but there's like 45-year-olds who are babies, basically, and they have kids. Yeah, they're basically furries. I'm trying to imagine like the family costume where everybody in the family is dressed up in in diapers. This could happen, maybe in San Francisco. I'm really really excited for it. Okay, so another adult baby diaper lover sent sent us a link to a Reddit thread detailing some drama over an adult baby diaper supplier called Rears. That's with a C. (laughs) R-E-A-R-Z. Google it. 
Rears was sued for allegedly infringing on the copyright of another adult diaper company. That one was called Adult Printed Diapers. So basically, Rears was accused of contacting the Chinese manufacturer of adult printed diapers. They had a line called, oh, so cute. And Rears undercut them. Like they went to the to the manufacturer and they were like, we'll buy the also oh, cute diapers for more money than than adult printed diapers would. Honestly, I have no idea if this campaign is legitimate. They were sued. I refuse to look into it any further. But I did go to the Rears website. And yes, they do have adult models. Jesse, I had to see this. So I want you to see this. Please click on the link I'm about to send you and describe it. No. Oh, man. Okay. Okay. It's, um, oh, no. Okay. So it's, no. So it's, the guy looks like a cross between Drew Carey and who is the yes. mean doctor from Scrubs? Did you watch Scrubs? I don't know. He it, looks like an accountant. If those two had a baby, but then the baby grew <laughs> up baby. and is wearing a baggy yellow diaper and look at, <laughs> looking over his shoulder coquettishly. <laughs> Why does this exist? Man, this is a bummer. This is how you sell adult diapers. I wonder oh, if this no. if this model of this is if he realized he was what he was getting into or if this was like the model in your on your Atlantic cover story. You had complaints <laughs> after. I, I was uh misdiapered. <laughs> he thought it was for people with actual incontinence. Okay. So our diaper wearing listener writes of this lawsuit drama. For a while, people were getting called out on Twitter for wearing these diapers, that is, the, the rear's diapers. It's truly amazing to see grown adults dressed, on, dressed in onesies with screen, with screen names like Whittle Baby Daniel call out others for wearing diapers that, quote, harm the community. But it's funnier when you know these people in real life. Most of them are high-profile lawyers. Tech executives, obviously, management consultants, and neurosurgeons. Every month or so, there's a debate about something. And while I never touch the poo, literally and met- metaphorically, I think I enjoy the drama more than the diapers at this point. That's really sad when, like, you get to the point where you start enjoying the drama more than the diapers. <laughs> I, I did find it interesting that a lot of the people involved in this are people in positions of power, which doesn't totally surprise me. I had a friend for a long time who was a sex worker, and her clients were – they had very specific fetishes. She had one client who he would come over. They would meet in a hotel. He would come over. He was wearing a suit. He would take the suit off, fold it up. She would piss all over him, and then he would put the suit back on and go home. She went to a She violated my uh, confidentiality. (laughs) Yeah. She went to a Christmas party with another friend who worked at a publishing company. Guess who was the head of the publishing company, Jesse? Who? Her client. Oh, okay. I missed yeah. it. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> that must have been so um, awkward to run into him. Yeah, I think so. Uh, maybe she pissed on him in the bathroom. I'm also – I was very imp- impressed by how articulate our uh, our babies were. I swear, when I was in diapers, I couldn't surf Reddit. I couldn't write emails. <laughs> none of this. And one last thing before we move on, hopefully forever from from this particular subject. So a friend of mine who is extremely sex positive, very pro-kink, uh, texted me after the show and he said, by all means, let your freak flag fly, but some people are going to think you're a freak. Isn't that kind of the point? And I think he's right. Yeah, that sums it up. It's also like, I don't know. I thought the whole point of being transgressive was to be transgressive. Like, let them call me a freak. This whole thing of like, I can do or I can display myself any way I want. And if anyone says, wow, you're a freak, I'm being hate crime. That's not how anything works. If you're trying to be provocative by, say, wearing diapers in public, don't be surprised when you provoke. Back when I was on Twitter, I would sometimes point out I'm really addicted to this fucking game, Slay the Spire. And I did it in a self-deprecating way. If I'm like, I played hundreds of hours of Slay the Spire, and then someone's like, you're a loser. And I was like, how dare you, sir? That, that's not how anything works. Okay, moving on, sort of. So uh, we got another comment um, about last week's episode, which was about this reckoning in the Unitarian Church. This was technically a comment on our subreddit, but I loved it, so I wanted to read it on air. Jesse, will you read this? I'm going to be doing a lot of talking this episode. After this week's episode, just wanted to share details of my experience visiting a UU, uh, Unitarian Universalist Church. My partner and I are actively church shopping and trying to find somewhere we like before our baby comes. We're both sp- <laughs> never mind. We're both spiritual people who believe in God, but with no particular denominational affiliation. 
There is a big emphasis on how the church is agnostic and atheists are welcome and God was not mentioned during the entire service. I recognize the tunes of some traditional hymnals, but all the words have been changed to omit referring to God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, etc. I'm trying to think, how does that work? Do you just swap in like Elon? <laughs> Elon, you're so great. I'm trying to think of some of any of any song, song that I can think of with the word God in it, and I don't know a single one. When Elon was in Pharaoh's land. You could do Oh, oh Holy Night, but Holy is spelled W-H-O-L-L-Y. Nice. Um, okay, and this was also, I noticed this something the one time that I went to a Unitarian church. You would hear the word God at an orgy more than you would at a Unitarian <laughs> church service. Uh, All right, keep reading. So other stuff this person saw. A trans woman gave a speech about trauma and showed us her stuffies and coloring books that she uses for comfort? Question mark. All the children were invited to the front of the stage and given a lesson about consent as the adults watched. I am smelling bullshit on this. Then they made the adults practice consent by asking people nearby if they wanted a fist bump and encouraging us to say no. <laughs> they identified people by race as readings were performed, i.e. this was written by Mary X, a white UU minister. I feel like if her name is Mary X, she's probably not white. <laughs> there was talk of a new reverend joining their congregation. They were described to us as a queer cis Afro-Latina interested in pagan traditions of the African diaspora. The minister verbally introducing the new reverend told a story about how she was in a state of despair over the state of the world and went to the new reverend about it. And the reverend told her it was white privilege to be uncomfortable with discomfort. The story was told as an example of why she'll be a great leader for the congregation. I have to say, Katie, this is a Reddit post, uh, anonymous or pseudonymous, right? Yes. It see it sounds like something like a far right wing troll would say to just like involve themselves in this controversy and start up shit. Which is exactly why I reached out to the person, got the name of the church and the date of the service, and went and found the YouTube recording of the entire (laughs) goddamn thing and watched it, and it is exactly as described. The one thing that is incorrect is that I think the person who brought the crayons and the stuffy was actually a trans guy or an MB or a butch dyke or even like an intersex person or a female on T or with PCOS rather than a trans woman. I can see why our listener was confused about the sex and gender of the speaker. It was one of those titties and beard situations. But and we always want to be accurate. So I did go to this person's Instagram and try to figure out I I couldn't figure out their two Instagram posts. One was about consent. One was a a quote from Ibram X. Kennedy. No pronouns. So I'm unclear. But other than that, this was exactly as described. what I mean by in-depth journalism that other people won't do. You actually fact-checked a Reddit post. This probably took you six hours. Moose was starving by the end. I watched the. I did watch the YouTube service in double time, so it wasn't six hours. Um, I was going to try to – I wanted to, to like find a good clip to play, but honestly, it was so boring. Even the part with the stuffies and the crayons and even the part where they're teaching children about consent. The one thing that was interesting about this was that in the section where they're like teaching children about consent, one of the kids was named Waldo. That was it. Oh, my God. It was the most like, mo- like obviously like child of child of millennials I've ever, name I've ever heard. Where's Waldo? <laughs> exactly. Learning about consent. How, lo- how long was the service? It was like an hour and a half. This is so fast. And that included music. I fast-forwarded through parts of it. It's so fascinating because like I'm torn on this whole thing of like we don't have religion, so new things are filling in the gap where religion should be. But not the first person to point this out, this idea that they're radically open about your theological beliefs. Like you can can come in there and be totally accepted if you're like, I think the world is a turtle balanced on a light bulb. And they're like, fine. But there's like strict orthodoxy about the way we talk about race and social justice. It's it's a very interesting phenomenon. Yes, and I hope our our listener uh, looking for a, a domin- denomination finds a better one by the time the baby comes. Should we do housekeeping before we get to the uh, the the uh, moistest part of this week's diaper? Let's <laughs> let's do it. This is Blocked and Reported. We're a podcast. We're not normally so focused on diapers. You can find us at blockedandreported.org. Where, by the way, Katie, a certain heroic co-host updated the links on the sidebar. You did. Oh, my God. I'm so impressive. I'm so impressive. I'm so impressed. Thank you. You're so impressive. <laughs> <laughs> Freudian slip. Uh, 
Yeah, if you go to Blotter Imported, you can also sign up to get extra episodes of this podcast as well as early access to new free ones. Uh, and you can become part of a growing community. We the, the weekly comment threads are on fire. We get so many comments, uh, usually four figures comments. I think we get more comments than average downloads of an NPR podcast launched since 2020. That was a really not well-constructed zinger. I'm sorry about that. Uh, barpodmerch.com. If you want to get some merch, we should probably swap in some new stuff at some point. But uh, anything else, Katie? Oh, blockchainreported.reddit.com for the subreddit. Join us, blockchainreported.org. Okay, Katie. So I'm ready for this segment you're going to lead about Dylan Mulvaney and Bud Light. I have in front of me three cases of Bud Light. At the end of the episode, I'm going to decide whether to chug it or to use one of my many AR-15s to shoot them up in the middle of Prospect Park. All right. So there's a lot riding on this segment, right? I will say before we get in, that I'm glad Dylan Mulvaney will be getting more attention. Yeah. So a lot of our listeners have probably uh, heard of Dylan Mulvaney. Now, we're going to go deep into to Dylan Mulvaney this episode, however. So Dylan is a natal male who came out as a trans woman just over a year ago and has recently been the subject of multiple boycotts. So just about half my Twitter feed this week has been Dylan Mulvaney content. So that's what you're missing while you're in HIPAA prison, Jesse. Do you think NPR actually mm-hmm. left in solidarity with you? Are they in HIPAA prison with you? Yeah, I think – yeah, I, I'm. There we're sellies. <laughs> so we're going to get to <laughs> – The first day at prison, you need to figure out which gang to join. So you sit at the cafeteria with the NPR correspondents. You know, NPR would end up with the with Aryan Nation just because of the makeup of NPR, but they would feel really bad about it. I was told there would be vegan gruel. <laughs> Okay, we're going to get to the boycott later, but first, some background on Dylan. One note before we get started. Dylan is a male-to-female, transsexual, transgender, currently uses she-her pronouns. I'm going to try to use she and her pronouns during the portion of this segment when I'm talking about Dylan post-transition. As you will hear, Dylan goes through all of the pronouns, so I'm going to use the appropriate pronouns during the time when Dylan was using those pronouns just to make it less confusing. People are going to be mad at me for calling Dylan she, her. I'm not doing this because I think that Dylan is a literal female. I don't. I'm doing this because I do believe in respecting people's pronouns in most cases, rapists and they, thems being the exception. <laughs> what, why are you like – What? What? I just don't understand. First of all, if the thing is to be polite, you should be, also be polite to they, thems. But you're just and like rapists? picking uh, rapists. I don't care about. You're just picking a fight <laughs> with like a large and growing segment of <laughs> with the media. an entire generation. <laughs> Basically, yeah. What is it's that? a joke? It's a joke. It's not. Ta- no, it's not taken as a joke. <laughs> I know. Okay. I'm the good guy. I do think that I just want to say this. I do think that referring to use preferred pronouns is a valid form of free speech, and I think it should be allowed on, for instance, social media platforms. But I also think it's just polite to call people what they want to be called. And since you and I are already accused of being bigots on this show, I just don't want to give haters more ammunition by misgendering anyone. This is going to piss off a segment of our of our audience. Please remember, I may disagree with what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to misgender anyone, as Voltaire put it. As Voltaire, he, him said. Yes. <laughs> that said, I'm probably going to fuck it up on occasion because Dylan recently got facial feminization surgery and so does look more female now. But until basically a month ago, Dylan really didn't pass. And because of that and because Dylan goes by the name Dylan, using female pronouns in this case is sort of unintuitive. Dylan's a female name too, isn't it? As of like Can't 1990. I guess now. Um, I don't think of Dylan as a female name. I don't – do you? I don't think of it – I think it's both. Every Dylan I know is male, yeah. but I, I think – Yeah, eh, whatever. Yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. I mean everything is gender neutral. It's a non-binary name. So anyway, I'm going to do my best to talk to use she, her when talking about Dylan post-transition. Jesse, is that enough? You're, you're going to show as much respect for Dylan's gender uh, identity as Dylan shows for the concept of being a woman. Yes. Okay. Beautiful. Okay. Dylan Mulvaney is 26 years old, a California-born actor who did not have great success in the industry. As a male, Dylan did play a missionary in a traveling production of the Broadway show Book of Mormon. I haven't seen the show. He played, or he at the time played Elder White. I don't think Elder White was the main character, but at the time, Dylan's persona was very much theater gay. I'm going to play you one of his early TikTok videos so you can get a sense of what I mean. Guys, it's gay icon Kristen Chenoweth's birthday, so I thought it was time for a Broadway story time! The year is 2010. Me and my mom are traveling to New York for the first time together. For our Broadway show, I chose Promises, Promises, and before we got there, I sent Kristen a letter asking her to coffee. Did Kristen Chenoweth agree to go to coffee with the 12-year-old gay boy? No, she did not. 
but she did get such a kick out of me that she was like, I have to meet you, come backstage after the show. So her security guard grabs us from our seats and walks us across the stage where I met Sean Hayes, another gay icon who I feel like I kind of look like. In the moment you've been waiting for, we got to meet her in her dressing room. She was so lovely. My mom was like, is this how every Broadway show is? Like, do you get to go backstage for every Broadway show? And I was like, no, I don't think so. Please tag Kristen in the comments. Kristen, I love you. I'm still performing. I hope we get to sing together one day. Yeah, this is like stereotype of what you'd expect like a theater dude to be like, frankly. Classic theater game. Okay, so COVID hits. Touring productions are over. Dylan is unemployed but keeps TikToking. He also comes out during this period, but not as trans. I'm Dylan. Today is my birthday, and I'm throwing a gender reveal party. And no, I'm not pregnant. It's for myself. I'm non-binary. I'm dropping the he, and my new pronouns are they, them, theirs. And Jesse, why don't you describe the scene? So Dylan is um, has blue and pink balloons and a blue and pink outfit, uh, and there's chickens in the background for some reason, and he's on a in a bucolic setting on like a uh, picnic blanket with a cake for himself that he blows out or or they blow out in this context. So over this period, Dylan becomes more androgynous, starts wearing barrettes in their hair, lots of big colors, sort of this garish look, sort of clownish, to be honest. This is the end of 2020, and they appear to be living or staying on a farm during that period, or at least a place with lots of barn animals. But the non-binary thing doesn't last. This is another TikTok, this one from March of 2022. Here it goes. I am a girl. I am a trans woman. My new pronouns are she and they. And I suppose um, that this is my coming out video of sorts. While I was non-binary, I would often say that I felt less and less like a boy every day. Um, But now I realize it really was every day I was feeling more and more like a girl. And I didn't know that. Was so scared and a little bit ashamed to even consider myself back on the binary as a trans woman. But ultimately, I have to honor that's who I am. And that's who I am supposed to be. You know, when I was four years old, I came to my mom and I said, I am a girl. And, you know, God made a mistake. <laughs> and she said, you know, God doesn't make mistakes. But I'm not a mistake. I'm, I'm here for a reason. And now it feels like I get to honor that inner child within me that that knew that so long ago and I finally get to um, be that person and I really am so excited for you to all meet girl Dylan and she's really excited to meet you too because um, she is so ready to be here and she has been for a really long time love you bye and Jesse please describe the aesthetics here I mean so the aesthetic is like Barrettes in the hair, like a pendant. Uh, 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 what's what's that? Like a tank top? Like a what's the word for what she she's wearing? Like a sleeveless shirt, but it's a like sleeveless... it's like picnic um, check patterns. It might be a dress. We don't know how to describe any fashion. I think stuff. it's a dress. Yeah, it might be maybe. the top of a dress. It's just so my my. Whereas you're just a dumb meanie who everyone hates. Mm-hmm. I've made super sophisticated points about some of this stuff, and I I do think. In some of the contemporary gender talk, there's like a fairly superficial or childish way of understanding feel like a boy, feel like a girl. So I was non-binary, but I, I really f- didn't feel like a boy. So now she's dressing in a more stereotypical fem way, fem, fem way and has like barrettes in her hair. It's just it's it's very it it's very gendered. It's not gender not conforming. It's like I feel like I'm a girl, so I'm gonna dress exactly like a stereotypical girly girl dresses and I don't spend that much time thinking about this stuff versus the youth gender medicine stuff because that's like a big scientific controversy with higher stakes. I will say I don't understand how this is a progressive understanding of gender. That's all I'll say. Because again, I'm the good person. You're the bad person. Okay. So I want to I wanna pause on something you said here, which is girl. This is very much yeah, absolutely grown man in a little girl's dress kind of look. And it's kind of jarring. It looks like a schoolgirl, like a, a first day girl. of kindergarten. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I'm I'm not saying that to be mean. Like I actually do like Dylan. I'll get to why shortly, but still it's just a very strange juxtaposition to see what is clearly a grown man with a five o'clock shadow dressing like a little girl. Because Dylan wasn't dressed like a grown woman. Dylan was dressed like a little girl. Regardless, this is the beginning of Dylan's transition, or as she called it. Days of Girlhood. This is the name of this project she's been engaged in for the past year. And every day she posts videos of what she calls becoming a girl. So here's day one. 
Deep breath. <laughs> There's a lot of clips. <laughs> Day one of being a girl, and I have already cried three times. I wrote a scathing email that I did not send. I ordered dresses online that I couldn't afford. And then uh, when someone asked me how I was, I said, I'm fine, when I wasn't fine. How'd I do, ladies? Good? Girl power. It's just, I mean, she puts on lip gloss at the end. It's uh, it, intentionally, it's, it's performance art. That's intentionally a stereotype of how women act. Like they're emotional. They're all over. The, like, uh, so I don't know. I mean, I, you can see how this would rub, rub some woman the wrong way. It, yeah, obviously. I, it's just it would depend on if you're like, oh, she's satirizing it. But it, it, I think it becomes harder to be like, it's it's just satire when she's like, no, this literally is what I am. She's not playing a role. She's becoming what she describes as the true version of herself, which happens to be a, a woman who embodies every negative <laughs> yeah. stereotype of women. Yeah. And, and Dylan has commented on this. Dylan says, you know, this is supposed to be a comedy video. It was a parody. And she did apologize for this in a subsequent video. She says she got some complaints about it. But she and she continues to post daily over this process. She gets more into hair and makeup and high heels. And she does say things like it's not the hair, the makeup, or the high heels that make a woman. It's how you feel inside, which, I mean, I would – What does argue, that mean? I know. I would argue it's gametes. But, hey, agree to disagree. All right. And on day 12, she discovers tampons. You're asking me to click a link after saying Dylan Mulvaney has discovered tampons. <laughs> what? Can you, tell, can you promise me this Just is safe it. for work? I'm at work. Just click it. <laughs> Day 12 of being a girl, and I just picked up some tampons, and y'all are probably thinking, Dylan, where are you going to put those? They're not for me. But this last weekend, I was in the restroom, and the girl in the stall next to me was like, hey, do you have a tampon? And I froze. I was like, sorry, no. But in that moment, I decided, you know what? I'm always going to have one on hand. For anyone who needs it, you come over to my house and we're having a glass of wine. I got a tampon for you. If we're in the club together and then we go to the bathroom, I got a tampon for you. Women supporting women. Love ya. Sorry. Day 12 is, is literally day 12 after them coming out as a woman. Mm-hmm. So day 12, a week and a half after coming out. Becoming a woman. Becoming a girl. But but is day one literally the day they came out as a trans woman? I, like what's the timeline yes. here? So a, week, yes. so a week and a half later there – Talking about being in the women's room and offering yes. other women tampons? Or being asked to give a woman a tampon. I have used a lot of women's bathrooms in my day. Of tampons. Yeah. <laughs> no one – I've never asked anyone for a tampon. No one's ever asked me for a tampon. I've never heard anyone ask anyone else for a tampon. I – have a little bit of a hard time believing this, especially because at this stage, Dylan really didn't pass. I, I just, I don't, it, it's so different from like the way I learned about these issues where it's just like, I wrote about Laura Jane Grace a couple times. She's like a hero of mine. She's the lead singer of Against Me. I, I interviewed her about a show she did to protest the bathroom bills in North Carolina and um, wrote about her memoir and, um, it's 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 so different. I, I don't know. I it's. I guess I guess what what I disagree with if I'm trying to work through this is the idea that as a woman you're the only acceptable thing or the only like right or just thing to say is like this person who came out as a woman a, mo- a week and a half ago, like I'm completely comfortable with this there's nothing weird or stereotypical or a little bit creepy going on here i i, I don't know i i guess but i guess that's the line right because as soon as someone says they are something they are that thing right it, it's like dylan wants all the accoutrement of being a woman but doesn't actually understand what it is to be a woman and the tampons become a whole thing like after this, really shortly after this, Dylan posts another video saying that Tampax reached out to her for sponsorship. And then on day 75, she posts this. 75 of being a girl, and I've been carrying around tampons and pads for the past two months, but I've actually never opened one up. So let's do it. Woohoo! I thought the letter stood for small, medium, and large based on the size of your Barbie pouch. But after a Google, I found out it's actually the level of your flow. So they're super, regular, and light. I guess my question is, which one do I carry around? The super? Because maybe if you have a light flow, you can still use a super? I don't know. Here goes nothing. It's pink, it's kind of adorable, and it kind of looks like a butter churn. (laughs) So you just go like that. Ow. 
Where does the string go? You are getting sleepy. Now for the real magic, I've got a glass of water and the tampon. I almost put red food coloring in there, but I thought that might be too much. And we're gonna see how this works. Oh, it kind of looks like a butterfly. How long does it take to get to this? This one looks like it would do the job. I feel like I'm in science class. Oh no. Okay, the pad didn't expand, so maybe this is for a light flow? I just don't know. Now that I think about it, I probably should have had a woman come teach me about these things. I was on the boys' side of sex ed, and now I would like to take the girls' class. Uh, but if you're on your period right now, I'm sending you love. Bye. Love ya. Barbie pouch is word for vagina. Uh, yeah. You've never heard that before? I, it's <laughs> it's a, a, They call it a Barbie pouch and then a can groin. That's what a penis is, the flat spot. The All you see, uh, and again, I do poke my head onto Twitter even though I don't have an account. All you see is people furious at, at Dylan. But if you scroll down to the comments on the TikTok, it's like so many people who absolutely love what she's totally. doing and think this is amazing. Totally. totally. We're going to get to that split in a little while. But you can see why a lot of women, feminists in particular, didn't like this, right? Yeah. I, I, women aren't like, oh, that's so cool. I get to carry around tampons. Like a period is like an inconvenience in a lot of ways and something you have to deal with as a woman. And and Thank you, Jesse. And you don't like get – women – most women don't get paid to – be a spokesperson. Yeah, I, I can see why people are mad. Let's leave it at that. And women don't typically refer to their vaginas as Barbie pouches, especially when there's blood blood coming out of them. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so Dylan doesn't mention Tampax in the video. The products do appear to be Tampax. And this it was this video, I think, that led to the rumor that Dylan Mulvaney, a person who cannot and will not ever menstruate, was paid tens of thousands of dollars by Tampax. Actually, I should point out, I do appreciate that Dylan acknowledges that she'll never menstruate because there's this other strange and tiny minority, hopefully tiny minority of trans women who do pretend that they can menstruate and talk about things like their cramps when they – cramps are a contraction of your uterus. If you don't have a uterus, you're not having cramps, sister. I'm sorry. Dylan doesn't do that. Dylan acknowledges that like – no blood coming out of this. Maybe the butthole, but that'd be a whole different issue. We've all been there, sister. <laughs> the rumor starts that Dylan was paid ten th tens of thousands of dollars by Tampox. And this rumor was not, I don't think, started by, but it was spread by an influencer named Ollie London. Jesse, do you know who Ollie London is? I know what London is, and I know there's people named Ollie. Ollie London is a name I've seen a lot, but I don't really know who it is. Okay, we could probably do an entire series on Ollie London. It would be our, our That's bon okay. <laughs> but in short... He's a British a British guy who was obsessed with K-pop and got a ton of plastic surgery to look like a member of the K-pop band BTS. Nope. He's apparently had, <laughs> nope. had over 30 <laughs> surgeries. <laughs> and he started saying he was transracial and identified as Korean. And then later he added transgender onto that. So he identified as a Korean woman. But that didn't last long. And then a few months later, he converted to Catholicism, detransitioned, and is now a prominent critic of gender ideology. He says he's writing like a Jamie Shoup situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He says he's writing a book called Gender Madness, One Man's Devastating Struggle with Woke Ideology and His Battle to Protect Children, now available for pre-order on Amazon. Please don't buy it. He's clearly unstable. He needs less attention, not more. Anyway. Yeah, within a year, there'll be a sequel about how he was wrong about the first. This is like he's, yeah, his emails is will be leaked. He'll have retransitioned. Exactly. Okay, so Ollie tweeted. Dear women, Tampax pays this man tens of thousands of dollars to mock you. Don't buy Tampax. So this spreads... You didn't read it right. It's mock you, all caps. caps, to mock you. Don't buy Tampax. So this spreads far and wide, but Tampax responds to it on Twitter and they say, we can confirm that we do not have a sponsorship agreement with Dylan Mulvaney or Jeffrey Marsh, who's another trans influencer who does these like ASMR videos where he's talking very closely to the mic and saying shit like... You will respect my gender identity or else. Like a woman. Would. <laughs> anyway, Dylan apparently is not doing SpawnCon for Tampax. Apparently they sent like sent Dylan like a box of tampons to give out to other women because that definitely happens. Earned, earned media. That was a very smart thing for them to do. Yes. He is doing it for two equally discordant brands. We will get to that shortly. So Dylan really does get the entire spectrum of responses to her content and to her whole project. As you mentioned, the comments on Twitter are mostly like, I want to murder this person. And the comments on, on TikTok are like, Dylan, I love you. Some of it's all... Don't threaten to murder Dylan Mulvaney. I didn't Jesus threaten Christ. to. 
Anyway, <laughs> some of it is very dumb. Like, she was invited to the White House for a sit-down with Joe Biden on day 221 of being a girl, as she put it. So that's <laughs> like on, seven man. months. Yeah, seven months into her transition. And there's this moment where Biden references his son, Bo, and he says, I was just saying that my deceased son, and I swear to God, I thought that he was going to finish that sentence with war women's underwear. He did not. <laughs> he was talking about Bo working on some LGBT legislation in, in Maryland. But Dylan getting invited to the White House, obviously this rubbed a lot of people the wrong way because because even like an eight-month-old baby girl would have been at this longer than Dylan Mulvaney. <laughs> And, like, she's not getting to go to the White House. And, like, I get that. And, frankly, I think that trans people have just as much reason to be annoyed as women do. Like, there are trans people who went through this process decades ago when it was way more dangerous and taboo. And so this this newbie getting invited to the White House instead of actual trans pioneers who, like, crossed the Oregon Trail and covered wagons to get HRT. <laughs> we should pause just... on that. What would the Trans <laughs> Oregon Trail, the video game. Uh, there's some potential. That's why Portland is the way it is. You meet you meet you meet the local Indians who have a fluid understanding of gender, <laughs> of gender. so yeah. they'll help you out. Yeah. Uh, so, but Dylan has over 10 million followers on TikTok, 1.8, I believe, on Instagram, and so that's probably why she was invited instead of someone who's like really been doing this for a long time and really fought for trans rights. And there's one one video, I think, that really does show that for all of the hate that Dylan gets, we're going to get to that in a second, Dylan also gets a disproportionate amount of love compared to what she's actually doing, which is just like posting these cheesy and sometimes very cringe videos on TikTok and like putting makeup on. So here's a clip from Dylan's appearance on The Drew Barrymore Show. I think this really, really illustrates what I'm talking about. And Jesse, I'm going to ask you to narrate this because – what they are doing is really more striking than what they are saying. How do you stay on your own path? Where do you draw boundaries? Where do you find the strength to keep being the joy? Well, I think having my chosen family and the people that I love to take care of me. But I also think there's something just about uh, Making sure that you're you don't put something out there before you're ready and and really just surrounding yourself with good people. It's interesting because I look at someone like you and I can't imagine anybody disliking you. Oh please. Okay, so Drew Barrymore, they're like she's now kneeling down in front of Dylan. Now Dylan joins her on the floor. Okay, they're sort of like looking one another in the eye and sort of holding each other, like kneeling on the floor. It's very like uh like they're at a sleepover or something. Yeah, so this sort of reminded me of that. Do you remember during the during 2020 in like places like Raleigh, North Carolina, when when like upper middle class of white people would like nail and like wash black people's feet? Insane. It was some of the just uh, so bizarre. Yes, but yes, I do remember. This is what this reminded me of: the way Drew sort of kneels in front of Dylan and Dylan is much larger than her. Uh, it's just it's a very striking image. We will put put a, a link to it in the show notes. So Dylan has a ton of fans, including obviously Drew Barrymore. And I have no data on this, but I suspect that the majority of Dylan's fans are like Drew Barrymore, heterosexual women. And despite the fact that I do think some some of Dylan's content is cringe and the whole little girl vibe was creepy and offensive. I can see why people like Dylan. Like, I started to follow Dylan on Instagram a while ago, and I will admit that at, at first it was a pure hate follow. I was morbidly curious but had zero plans to actually fall for Dylan's weird act. But over time, I have to admit that she kind of grew on me. I completely understand why some feminists object to this whole act. She's doing a weird parody of the most superficial parts of what it is to be a woman. She's getting rewarded for it. It's That's annoying. And I don't find it particularly laudable that, for instance, like she got a bunch of plastic surgery to make herself more attractive and then people are like, Dylan, it's so courageous. I kind of roll my eyes about that. Like talk to me when a hot woman gets plastic surgery to look uglier. That's brave. So I, I get the annoyance and I share it in some ways. But also Dylan just radiates joy and positivity and people tend to like to be around positive people. This is why I'm always alone. And, and I sort of envy Dylan's attitude because she does not let anything dull her shine. She is relentlessly positive. So I think that explains a lot of the reason that people, despite how weird this whole act is, why people genuinely like her. And I think the other thing that explains Dylan's popularity, especially with straight women, is that straight women tend to like gay men. And Dylan may be going by she, her, and she may have had surgery and laser hair removal, and she may be chewing up estrogen pills. 
but her persona is still very much that of a bubbly theater fag. And straight women have always loved bubbly theater fags. So I think that's part of the appeal. Like, do do I think that, that Drew Barrymore and Dylan's fans think of Dylan as a literal female? Probably not. But Dylan is fun, non-threatening, and straight women can also tell themselves that they're good allies by by consuming this content. It's sort of interesting because, like, it reminds me of how, like, in this case, straight women, yeah, they can tell themselves they're good allies by consuming this wholesome, relentlessly positive content, whereas the black influencers straight white liberal women look for are anything but positive. They tell them the world's a horrible place. It's horribly racist. You're racist. So – I don't know why that strikes me as interesting. It just does for some reason. I don't know. Yeah. It sort of leans into both of the stereotypes in a way. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like, yes. Yeah. The, the theater gays are supposed to be like prancing about, about super happy, fun to go to brunch with. And Mm -hmm. like, if you don't know a lot of real life, I mean, these days everyone knows more gay people. So maybe it's silly, but it's like, if you don't know a lot of black people, your stereotype of black people is they're angry and talk about racist all the time. And those are the black voices who tended to be most elevated by white liberals. White women, you know? White women are the, I've been saying for a while, they're the problem. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Dylan also has a ton of haters, including perhaps first and foremost, Matt Walsh. Here's a clip from a video Matt released in February. This was after Dylan's facial feminization surgery. Dylan, if that is the most attractive you will ever look, then I don't even want to imagine what you'll look like when you're at your ugliest. You do not pass as a as an attractive woman or as a woman at all. Uh, even with 50 pounds of makeup and plastic surgery and clever lighting tricks, even then you still cannot escape what you really are and what you will always be. You have successfully shed Whatever parts of you were masculine, perhaps, at least on the surface, nobody would ever describe you as masculine or manly, so you've got that going. But your femininity quotient has not increased at a rate commensurate with the loss of your masculinity. Um, you may not be masculine, but you also aren't feminine. Instead, you are you are weird and artificial. You are manufactured and lifeless. You are unearthly and eerie. You are like some kind of human deep fake. That's what you are. You are a man deprived of all the best qualities of men, but without any of the best qualities of women. Even your personality is contrived. Everything about you is fake. Nothing about you rings true. Nobody buys the act. You'll never be accepted as a woman by anyone. Never by anyone. Even the people who pretend to accept you as a woman are only pretending because they're afraid of being lectured if they don't. Or because they want to use you as a platform to virtue signal. But everyone who looks at you will see something pitiable and bizarre, something utterly unfeminine in every way. You will never be able to actually have the identity that you're trying to appropriate, nor will you ever be able to fully escape the identity that you're fleeing. The best you can hope for is some kind of limbo, the worst of all worlds. And yet, even in that limbo state, you will still be a man. Just not one that any of us can respect or take seriously. Yeah, it sort of seems less geared at like making any substantive points here and more just like being cruel and mocking, basically. He's mean. He's a bully. He actually is what people think that J.K. Rowling is. Like you can criticize Dylan's look or choices or TikToks or fame without being an asshole, but Matt always chooses to be an asshole instead. I mean, maybe people would say I'm just doing the same thing but more politely, but you should be more polite. (laughs) Like regardless of how he feels about Dylan – Matt has also elevated his profile among conservatives who have now spent at least the past week absolutely losing their shit over two of Dylan Mulvaney's latest brand deals. Um, okay. what what? So the brands, one I know is Bud Light. What's the other one? Uh, Nike Women. So Bud Light and Nike Women, possibly the two brands least likely to be affiliated with a flamboyant MTF. Uh, maybe NASCAR. <laughs> That I yeah I saw this clip of of Dylan Mulvaney prancing around in a sports bra and it was just I I don't care what people choose to wear but it was just weird because Dylan Mulvaney does not need a sports bra or any kind of bra no like I'm just gonna put put this bluntly girls got no titties zero titties negative titties like both of the people in this podcast have larger titties than Dylan Hell Mulvaney yeah. and so to see someone with <laughs> negative titties modeling sports bras it's like why. And the answer to that question is that Nike wants to be perceived as the type of company that supports trans women. Still, there are probably better ways to signal that, like choosing a trans woman athlete with titties. 
there's plenty of them. Caitlyn Jenner, she's got a nice set. She's a great athlete, although that probably wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't be the signaling that they want. Or even like a trans man, you know, you could do the Nike binder. I've been looking for a new sports bra. I might be tempted to get that. But instead, they went with someone who needs a sports bra as much as like Eleanor Roosevelt needs a cup. Like it just – There's an image. It doesn't <laughs> it doesn't fit and, and inspired this enormous backlash. Although maybe that's actually the genius of this kind of campaign because the more people, especially conservatives, freak out about Dylan Mulvaney selling sports bras, the more liberals are going to be defending Nike – and like not just that, but it's it's just earned media. It spreads it the ad itself around as part of the outrage coverage. Yeah, and like it, we're old enough to remember when Nike was an evil corporation using sweatshops and child labor, and now they're like making pride jerseys and doing Spawn Con with Dylan Mulvaney, and they're somehow now their child labor <laughs> is assembling pride jerseys. <laughs> yeah, the child laborers are non-binary, so it's good now. And then the Bud Light thing is even stranger because you know Dylan Mulvaney has never had a Bud Light in her life. Like she's a wine drinker, maybe White Claw, maybe like skinny bitch vodka drinks, you know. Bud Light is for fraternity brothers at ag schools and NASCAR fans on a diet. The partnership really makes no sense. But she did do at least one sponsored post for Bud Light. You can hear that here. Hi. Impressive carrying skills, right? I got some Bud Lights for us. So... I kept hearing about this thing called March Madness, and I thought we were all just having a hectic month, but it turns out it has something to do with sports. And I'm not sure exactly which sport, but either way, it's a cause to celebrate. This month, I celebrated my day 365 of womanhood, and Bud Light sent me possibly the best gift ever, a can with my face on it. It's sort of funny how on the one hand, she's like doing an ad for a company trying to show that it supports women's sports but then the bud light ad she's like what literally are sports i'm just a girl right and so she mentions a bud light can with her face on it at the end there were rumors that like bud light was going to be selling these cans or like all the bud light cans were going to have dylan mulvaney's face that's not true like a limited run it's not even a limited run they sent it to dylan there was one. Oh, there's what yeah. literally one can well i'm still mad katie i don't know if there's one or just a couple but you can't buy it it's not open to the public Anyway, many Bud Light drinkers or perhaps people who pretended to be Bud Light drinkers for the sake of this controversy were absolutely livid about this partnership, which as far as I can tell, was limited to this Instagram video. Here's a reaction from Kid Rock. Grandpa's feeling a little frisky today. Let me uh, say something to all you and be as clear and concise as possible. Bud Light and fuck Anheuser-Busch. Have a terrific day. So yeah, as you could probably tell, at the end he's firing a rifle uh, at a bunch of Bud Lights on a table. It's the most American thing ever. Rap rock guy shooting cans of beer. I was hoping that when he said Grandpa's feeling a little bit frisky today, the next shot would be him in like a stunning <laughs> evening gown, a just looking beautiful and a diaper. <laughs> Someone should uh, deep fake that. But uh, it gets uh, pretty fucking crazy pretty quick when you're now committing murder against beer cans because you're <laughs> mad about an Instagram sponsored content video. I hope that he purchased the cans of Bud Light specifically for this purpose and not that they were they were lying around. And Anheuser-Busch, you mentioned, that's the parent company. Uh, so that's why he's fucking them, too. And this was... Kid Rock, those cans of beer had children. <laughs> this is unbelievable. Marjorie Taylor Greene, of course, had to get on in this. So she posted a photo of a case of Coors in the back of her car. And it was like she had just gone to the grocery store. And so the other things in the grocery bags were like shit for Easter baskets, which I think tells you a lot about how, what Easter is like at her house. <laughs> Easter egg hunt in a case of Coors Light. She tweeted, I would have bought the king of beers, but it's changed its gender to the queen of beers. Of course, Coors sponsors pride events, so it's a little gay of her. <laughs> and then, of course, like a bunch of other influential conservatives complained about this. Ben Shapiro, Travis Tritt, Ted Nugent. And then there were many, many thousands of non-influential conservatives and a smaller number of feminists saying that they're boycotting the company as well over this. Sorry. So these are like these are like feminist sociology professors saying they're no longer going to be drinking Bud Light. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, at least one person emailed Anheuser-Busch bomb threats, which is definitely oh a rational God. response to a sponsored content post that you don't like. Jesse, do you think this counts as right-wing cancel culture? It's all – there are so many layers of stupid here. I don't know what it is. I 
it's just the importance of performance of performing your outrage and the benefits you get from pretending to be outraged or maybe convincing yourself are out you are outraged it's just i just feel like a culture can't survive like always oh, cranked up to 11 all the time it's very exhausting um so do we know like who who came up with this who thought it was a good idea Okay, well, we do have some idea. So the vice president of Bud Light, she's a marketing exec named Alyssa Heinerscheid. So she's the head of Bud Light. She's the first person ever in that position. And just before this campaign launched, she went up on a podcast called Make Yourself at Home. The podcast is largely about like home life, work-life balance, and about her fight against cancer. She did successfully. She also said this. Yeah, I, I think number one, you know, I'm a businesswoman. Mm-hmm. I had a really clear job to do. When I took over Bud Light and it was, this brand is in decline. It's been in decline for a really long time. And if we do not attract young drinkers to come and drink this brand, there will be no future for Bud Light. So I had this super clear mandate. It's like, we Mm -hmm. need to evolve and elevate this incredibly iconic brand. And my, what I brought to that was a belief in Okay, what is what do, what does evolve and elevate mean? It means inclusivity. It means shifting the tone. It means having a campaign that's truly inclusive and feels lighter and brighter and different and appeals to women and to men. Mm-hmm. And representation is at sort of the heart of evolution. You've got to see people who reflect you in the work. And we had this hangover. I mean, Bud Light had been kind of a brand of fratty kind of out of touch humor and it was really important <laughs> that we had another approach. So it's sort of interesting. It reminds me a little bit of like some of Ethan Strauss's work about how like NBA fans aren't woke, but the NBA is pushing this. So like I think there's a risk um just setting aside all the like corporate speak, which I find off putting, there's a risk that in attempting to like evolve the brand or bring in new <laughs> Bud Light drinkers, although it's a really tough, tough sell in 2023, given the other beer options, uh, that you could turn off whatever existing base of drinkers you have. Yeah, I think NPR is going through this. Yeah, I also, what you said about Ethan, that makes total sense. I went on his podcast last week, and he was telling me about this tension with the NHL, because the NHL is old, their audience is old. If they don't diversify the audience, eventually all of the, the existing consumers are going to die. And so there are these efforts across different brands to engage a newer, younger audience. So she kind of has a point, but she does it in this way that does disparage the the brand's existing consumer, you know, the frat boy with the out-of-touch sense of humor, which is kind of shitty to hear if you're a current Bud Light drinker, right? Yeah. Okay, but this interview was in March. Dylan's Bud Light Spawn Con launches in April. It starts to generate all this heat, and then someone finds this clip, decides that this woman is behind the campaign, and then there's a bunch of news stories either blaming or crediting her for the Dylan Mulvaney campaign. Like, this was Pink News' headline about this. No future for Bud Light without ads with stars like trans TikToker Dylan Mulvaney, VP says. Here was Real Clear News' headline. Bud Light VP defends Dylan Mulvaney can. My job was to take a brand in decline and attract young drinkers. Okay, so both of those headlines, one from the left, one from the right, both totally incorrect. Because if you actually listen to the whole interview, and I did, she's not talking about Dylan Mulvaney. She doesn't defend the can, which again was not available to the public. She never mentions Dylan Mulvaney at all. She's actually talking about Bud Light's 2023 Super Bowl ad, which featured a woman drinking Bud Light. There was also a man drinking Bud Light, one of the guys from Top Gun, but there was also a woman drinking Bud Light. So... Did she personally wait? That was all. That, that was like the big inclusivity push was to have a woman drinking Bud Light in a Super Bowl ad. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I don't understand any of this. I think I'm it's too sophisticated. I think it's broader than that. It was probably broader than just that one marketing campaign. But yeah, did she personally say, "Yeah, let's get Dylan Mulvaney"? I don't know. I kind of doubt it. The Daily Wire reported that whoever came up with this plan was a low-level marketing staffer, not an executive. I don't know if that's true. But I would not expect the head of the division to sign off on every sponsored Instagram post to even be aware of every Instagram post. But still, Alyssa Heinerscheid is now to blame for this in the eyes of the public. The Daily Caller even got pics of her from college and wrote an article called Exclusive, that's in all caps, leaked social media pics from Bud Light ad exec who slammed fratty culture seem pretty fratty. Here, let me read you from this. Oh, God. 
The Daily Caller obtained the photos from a source who had screenshots of the album on Alyssa Gordon Heinerscheid's Facebook Facebook page, which was titled ISIS <laughs> ISIS Senior Reverse Initiation Scavenger Hunt. Wait, and ISIS it, Senior Reverse <laughs> Initiation Scavenger Hunt. Okay, that's kind of awesome. In the album, there are photos of Heinerscheid drinking with others and holding condoms up to their mouths. Burner. Yeah. So a lot of people want this woman fired. Like, Megyn Kelly just gave this scathing interview about this woman. We don't know if she even knows who, or I'm sure she does now, we don't know if she even knew who Dylan Mulvaney was or she was talking more broadly about the need to diversify the brand, which, if you're trying to make the brand last, you know, longer than the aging population, does make sense. She did not say it in a particularly politic way, but it does make sense. And on the other hand, like, a lot of people want this woman fired, but... No one has talked about a drink this much since that Kendall Jenner ad where she, like, stopped cops from killing a black man by passing out Pepsi. (laughs) So I'm not totally convinced that this was a complete failure for the company. I mean, they did lose Kid Rock and their stock temporarily dipped. And this became this other, like, conservative story about how they were tanking Anheuser-Busch stock. It dipped for, like, a day. It's back up today. It was back up yesterday, too. And I also just think the stock market is more complicated. <laughs> a bunch of people getting mad on Twitter. They just got they got so much free media over this. So I'm just not totally convinced that this is going to tank the brand. What do you think, Jesse? Will it work or will trans allies start drinking Bud Light in solidarity with Dylan Mulvaney? People chronically overestimate how much online bullshit matters in the real world. Like it can obviously get people fired. I would be shocked if this caused like a clear permanent impact on anything involving the company, but I guess we'll see. Anheuser-Busch brands account for about a third of the global beer market. This is a company worth over a hundred billion dollars. Yeah, I think I think they'll probably be okay. Yeah, I mean, it's a little harder for me to imagine waves of Dylan supporters like buying Bud Light. It's such a shit product, and like they drink White Claw and IPAs and carry around gallon drugs of water more so than like people buying Nike bras to support Dylan Mulvaney. So I kind of doubt the backlash to the backlash will result in a a new generation of of Bud Light drinkers. But on the other hand, maybe they'll really lean into this and start sponsoring Drag Queen Story Hour. That's where things are headed. That'd be fun. Yeah. I kind of feel bad for everyone involved in this. Like Dylan really is being viciously attacked. She hasn't said anything. She hasn't posted in like a week, which is very weird for her. I don't think she deserves that. Like she's just doing her thing. I'm not particularly into her thing, but she's just doing her thing. And then again, like Dylan, the theater fag, was probably never going to be famous as, you know, the ensemble member for the touring production of the Book of Mormon. And now Dylan, the trans woman, is a global phenomenon. That's female privilege, Jesse. (laughs) Nice. This is what you're missing on Twitter. Dylan Mulvaney is trending right now. Oh, God. Well, I'll have to hop right back on, reactivate multiple accounts. So we're recording this on Friday. And as of right now, Nike has yet to address this controversy. Uh, and if they're smart, they're, they'll keep it that way because Anheuser-Busch released a statement, the CEO of the company, today. And uh, the statement is basically says nothing. We are an American company. We employ a lot of people. We never meant to get involved in this divisive conversation, blah, blah, blah. Uh, basically a, a nothing statement. And so he has now managed to piss off both the Dylan haters and the Dylan lovers. He's also guaranteed that this controversy stays in the news for several more days, if not weeks and years. Any questions, Jesse? No, it's very stupid and noisy. I mean, we there are totally fair critiques you can make of like the way gender identity is discussed and Dylan Mulvaney's character, but it just becomes the the rending of garments and screaming and <laughs> firing of weapons. It's just so fucking stupid and over the top at the end of the day. Right. I mean, why be mad at this when somewhere in the world there is a drag queen reading a child Peppa Pig right now? Exactly. Exactly. All right, Jesse, that's it for this week. All right. Thank you, Katie. Uh, this has been Blocked Reported. As always, we are produced with help from Tracy Woodgrains and the mysterious Lex. I'm Jesse Single. And remember, please stop fighting mom and dad. And I'm Katie Herzog. And also remember, we're very much looking forward to Dylan Mulvaney's next partnership, the Rear's also cute line of adult diapers and skinny girl nappies. <laughs>